Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. We have more and more people talking about us, and it's not necessarily about our product it's about what we're saying about the industry before we get into today's episode i want to mention today's best ever partner and give you a free gift and that partner is fun that flip and they're going to be giving you a free deal analysis spreadsheet you know who fun that flip is don't you because you're a loyal best ever listener we've been a sponsor on the show matt rodak the founder of fun that flip has been on the podcast multiple times given us his insight on the online lending process. Fund That Flip provides fast, reliable funding for your house flip projects. They're an online platform, makes the application process entirely easy, and they've got a whole bunch of experts on their team who can help you get funding in 24 hours and close within as few as seven days. And all of you best ever listeners, you're getting a free spreadsheet to help you analyze your projects. Go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. That's fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. And you'll get a free deal analysis tool. It'll help you provide a scope of work for your projects, create the scope of work, analyze the profitability of the project, or if it's not profitable, you need to know that too, and make a determination on the max purchase price super important. You can print out all the detailed reports and that will help you get your deals funded faster. Go to fundnetflip.com forward slash best ever. Get that free analysis tool, fundnetflip.com forward slash best ever. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate podcast. I am with Theo Hicks. How you doing, Theo? Doing good, Joe. Glad to be back. Yeah, nice to have you back on Follow Along Friday. And the purpose of Follow Along Friday is to talk about all the things we've got going on in our entrepreneurial endeavors. And specifically, we're going to talk about branding because that's something that's very important mm-hmm. from from an entrepreneurial standpoint. And we are also going to talk about a trip I took. Last Friday to Columbus, Ohio, to look at apartment community and a couple other things. So that being said, we'll go ahead and dive right in. That good with you? Yeah, we started with trip to Columbus. Yes, I, know I was supposed to go to that, but I had some best ever book finishing touches to put on. So yes, yes, we're I'm the, doing that all day. We're in the final <laughs> stages of doing the best real estate investing best ever book, volume two. Yep, and. Looking forward to that. We've got all the chapters written. Theo is putting the finishing touches on it 
on Friday. We are getting it edited one more time yep. because one, I was going to say constructive feedback, but really it's just one criticism we had on the first book was that it wasn't proofread well enough. We hired somebody from Upwork on the first book to proofread it. This time, I believe we're doing it two rounds of proofreading. Is that right? So I guess, and this is something I just realized very recently, and this is silly, but I didn't know this, but there's a difference between copy editing and proofreading. They're two completely separate mm-hmm. things. Copy editing is more an art form. Yeah, co- yeah, exactly. Copy editing is more of just kind of the overall structure and flow, mm-hmm. but they don't check for typos or, or grammar or sentence structures, more like overall structure, mm-hmm. whereas the proofreaders are the mm-hmm. ones that actually edit for the typos, grammar, everything like that, and so... Again, that's a perfect lesson learned from last time because we didn't know that, and that's why we got that comment as to you know there being some issues with grammar because we didn't get a check for grammar because we didn't know. But now we yes. know, so this time around, it's going to be a lot more dramatically sound. Yes. <laughs> I will take all day long criticism on grammar, spelling, punctuation mm-hmm. versus actual content. We've got 65 reviews on Amazon on, on the first book. And I think, like, 63 of them are either four-star or five-star. We've got a couple one-stars because that's just how things operate when you put yourself yeah. out there in the world. And they are talking about the content, and they're happy with the content. And you know what? I'm all in on that approach if I have to choose which path to take, mm-hmm. which thing to have more polish, and which one not to be more polished. That being said... Might as well try and have it a all-around good experience and get everything knocked out. And obviously, with any time you publish a book and you don't go through an official publisher, then you're not going to have it as polished as what you would if you did, I suspect. But you know what? We'll do our best to make the grammar, spelling, punctuation better. And the content in the second book, it will blow you away. Grant Cardone has a chapter in the book when I interviewed Grant on the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever show talking about how he used a video LOI Mm -hmm. to get awarded a large multifamily deal as well as a whole bunch of other chapters from how to quit your 9 to 5 job and do real estate investing. And what I love about these books, and obviously I'm biased, but what I love about these books is that It's not hypothetical stuff. Mm -mm. It is real life and they're real examples of how people today are achieving things in real estate investing from breaking free from your nine to five job to how to qualify a development deal Mm -hmm. to what other stuff. I was going to say, because in the first book, it was more niche specific. So it was like, you know, here's a collection of, of fix and flip stories, here's a collection of buy and hold stories. And here's a collection of kind of hybrid strategies, whereas this one right here covers so much more. It covers crowdfunding, a lot of different brokers and the strategies that they use to get clients and to find deals, which can be used by investors, obviously, because they need to find deals. So a lot of things on finding deals, there's like there's multiple chapters on how to raise money. I don't think that was in the last book at all. Mm-hmm. So like there's you know, how to become a, a money-raising machine is one, mm-hmm. of the, yep. one of the chapter titles. So it's a lot wider range of topics than the first book. So you've kind of got two mm-hmm. complementing books that you can... You're not going to find repeat information in the second book that's in the first book. I guess, I guess Because they're new people. Yeah, new, you know. new people. Similar structure, but different content mm-hmm. and... I always want to model after others. That's how I've gotten to where I'm at is I simply see what others are doing 
and I identify aspects of how they got from where they were to where they are, and I mirror those aspects or replicate those aspects or copycat those aspects, if we're going to speak plainly. So looking forward to that. And you were working on the book. I went to Columbus, Ohio. I toured a property. It is an on-market deal in Columbus, Ohio. It is probably at the top of our list for ideal next acquisitions because it is in such a highly sought-after area and there's an opportunity to increase rents. What we look for is we look for very good areas with good school districts. That way it attracts families and people who want to stay there longer because their kids are in school or they just enjoy a nice area. And we ideally, we always want to find a place that has upside potential. And whenever I go to these tours, what I look for is, can we increase rents? Okay. That's basically what I'm looking for. Because we can do a lot of math and spreadsheet work prior to getting there. But when you're there, it's important to ask the questions to the property manager, like, when was the last rent increase you did? How are you qualifying people? Have you done any renovations? What other type of projects have you done? If I could give you a bucket full of money, what would you do to the property? Why do people move in here? Why don't people move in here? Who are your competitors? Who do they move to if they don't move in with you? And asking those types of questions, as well as looking at the type of renovations that are done, the type of finishes. So are they renovating the countertops and the fixtures, or are they just putting in new flooring? If they are putting in countertops, what kind of countertops? Mm -hmm. What type of appliances are they putting in? What rent increases have they achieved as a result of any of the combination of those things? Are they doing the bathrooms as well as the kitchens? Those are the type of questions that I ask whenever I'm there and I look at whenever I'm there. And then I go to the competitors and I secret shop the competitors. I pretend I'm renting and I ask similar questions, but clearly it's not as direct in with some of those that I just mentioned. And the goal of that is to know where the subject property we're evaluating stacks up against the other properties that were named as the number one and number two and number three competitors. Okay. That's what I did whenever I was in Columbus last Friday, looking at the subject deal as well as the competitors. Everything checked out, and we will be making an offer this week on it and see where we go from there. So this was an on-market deal. I know the last time I went to Columbus, that was an off-market deal. Yep. What are the differences when you're approaching an off-market deal versus an on-market deal? Well, with on-market deals, you don't have to act as fast. Okay. Off-market deals, you need to act faster because it's off-market and you want to snatch it up before others snatch it up. I think that's the main thing. Other than that, perhaps with an off-market deal, you need to go in more skeptical on the operations and the expenses and the finances because... They haven't had a broker or brokerage look over the numbers and come up with their own analysis and have a reality check with the owner based on what they're seeing. But that's not always the case. Depends on the broker and what they're looking for. Those are the two main differences I can think of. All those lists of questions you're asking, which are all amazing questions. 
Are you asking those to the broker, or are you actually talking to the actual property managers? And if you're talking to the property manager, do they know that you're a potential buyer, or are you still doing that kind of secret shopping? If it's on market, they know I'm a potential buyer. Okay. If it's off market, then it depends on the situation. For example, we have over 500 units right now under contract in Dallas-Fort Worth. One on market, one off market. They're across the street from each other. We're buying them together. And the one that was off market, the owner couldn't set us up with a tour because before we had it under contract, he hadn't told his team that it was for sale, mm. that he was selling it to us. So because of that, he said, just go there and pretend you're a renter and try and find out as much as you can. And that's what we did. Not typical, but whatever. You do what you need to do to get the intel that you need. As far as from on-market deals... If you're there, then they know you're a buyer, so you can just ask whatever you need to ask. And some of those questions are more broker-related, but most of them, a good property manager or a district manager who oversees multiple properties for the owner's company should be able to answer. And when you're asking all these questions, are you the notebook having all the specific answers, all these questions, and kind of taking all that into account, or is it kind of just... Uh you've been doing it for so long, it's more of a overall feel as to, is this going to align with kind of the properties we're looking for, or is it somewhere in between? It's in between. If I am secret shopping, then I'll get a rent printed out. That way I can write down, or if it's written down already, that way I have a reference point. Because if I tried to memorize all the rents with everything else, that would be tough. Yeah. For example, when I was in Columbus on Friday, I got a pamphlet from one of the apartment communities I was secret shopping, and it had the rents written in, but then I was asking about the garages that were right across from the apartment door, and they said, oh, yes, you can rent those out for $75 mm-hmm. a month. Okay, so I write down $75 a month. I see that they have a washer and dryer hookup, so I asked about that, and that was going to be included in the rent once they provided them. So I wrote down, includes washer and dryer units. Not only hookups, but all the units have washers and dryers with them. I included that. Then I learned about another program that they had with their appliances and how they include stainless steel front appliances. And I made sure I wrote that down. But other stuff like amenities or things like that, usually I can find that online. And then if it's on market and I'm asking about when was the last increase in rents, when's the last time you rented out a renovated unit, what are some differentiating features this property has compared to your competitors, I will write most of that stuff down if I think that I'm going to forget it by the time I get to my car. But I do have a notepad in front of me and I'm taking those. A lot of people have their phones, whatever works for you, but I'm a huge note taker. Every call that I have during the day with my clients, with my investors, or with new contacts that I come across daily and I have calls with, I open up a Word document, I write the date, write their name, and I have just bullet points. I'm just typing while Mm -hmm. we're talking because it's wonderful to be able to go back and reference those conversations under this person's name. I just have a folder on my desktop that says phone conversations. I just put that, drag the, the Word doc into that phone conversation folder, and then when they call again, I just open up phone conversation folder, go to their name, open it up, and I can see right where we picked up. Oh, that's an awesome strategy. I know you've talked about that before, about how you, you know, take notes on all, on all the phone calls that you have, and 
I think that's a really great way to kind of deepen a relationship with people versus just kind of picking up from scratch mm-hmm. and really not having any sort of background. Because like, like, whenever I come over here, you ask me a bunch of questions. I kind of, you don't, you don't just start right away. It's like, oh, like, how's, how's your weekend? Like, oh, remember last time you said this? And mm-hmm. it kind of makes you feel a lot more connected with someone when that happens. And mm-hmm. that's like how to be more connected with people. That's like some of the, I've been trying to strategize ways to do that. And I've heard you say that before, but now it's kind of clicking. It's like, oh, yeah, that's why he does that. But one additional question I had about this new deal is that, so you go there, you take all the notes, and you do everything at the actual site, and then you get in your car. What are the next steps from getting your car and you're leaving to, all right, we're going to make an offer on this property? Like, What do you do in between those two? Well, I'll tell you what I do. It's probably not typical for most people, but then I'll tell you what I used to do. Okay. What I do now is, as soon as I get in the car, I call my assistant. I tell her all the things that were on paper or in my head, and at the top, it will be the property name and then bullet points of everything I came across, like rents per unit and what the square footage is of each unit, and then all those miscellaneous things I just went through. And then Mm -hmm. the next property name, the bullet points, next property name, bullet points. Then I have them documented... And I will send that to my business partner, and we'll review that together. Okay. After that, we'll make sure that there's nothing that needs to be updated in our financial model, which something does usually, or multiple things usually do need to be updated after doing an in-person visit. Then once we have that updated, we'll make an offer. I mean, it's pretty simple because... By the time we visit a property, we will have already put together our financial model. Really, this is just a matter of truing things up and making sure that we have all the aspects covered at this point in the game before submitting an offer. And like I said, now we're ready to submit the offer and we'll be doing so this week. And then you calculate that offer. So you you have the financials done before going in there. Yeah. Why you go there to make sure that your renovations never may have been off based off of right. you seeing that these units are not nice at all, or right. oh, they're really nice, I'm not going to really do any renovations, or hold oh, this parking lot needs to be fixed. And then you're and you're calculating that, that offer number based off of a cap rate or return, mm-hmm. and that's how you're figuring out this is how much we're going to offer, yep. kind of regardless of what it's even listed for. You don't even really right. look at that. Right, and most of the time now, there's not a price that they have huh. publicly disclosed. Okay, I didn't know that. It's, say, uh, to be determined by market. But it's pretty ridiculous that brokers <laughs> put that because all you have to do is you have to call them up and then you say, hey, what's the whisper price? Or what do you think this will trade at? And then they'll tell you the price that they're looking for. So I don't know why we have to play that game, yeah. but we do. and So you have an idea of what they're looking for. So that's a key distinction between... Big multifamilies, single families, and, and duplex. You're not going to find a, a to-be-determined or not a duplex. Uh-uh. No, no. <laughs> so what did you do before? You had your assistant and this super fancy calculator well, and, and be- all those things. Before, well, before it was the same thing, except I didn't have an assistant. Okay. <laughs> That's the only difference. Now I have a very valuable team member, Samantha, who a lot of Best Ever listeners have interacted with either through emailing info at Joe Fairless for free spreadsheets that we have on raising money. By the way, you can do that if you haven't already. We have a spreadsheet for how to gather all the information for investors that you have and organize your thoughts. In particular, identify the right people to go after, which we talked about last week. Mm -hmm. You can go 
watch that video or listen to that episode. And by the way, best ever listeners, in case you didn't realize, we're recording this episode live on Monday at 10.15 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. So if you have a chance next week to catch that on the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash meet Joe Fairless, definitely do that. You'll hear this episode before it actually goes live on the show. But other than working with Samantha, it's the same process okay. as before. That's really it. Cool. Do we transition into talking about some branding stuff? Or got yeah. To say about the yeah. Deal? Yes. Uh, branding stuff. So let's talk about that. You had brought it up because I was recently interviewed on a podcast, someone yes. else's podcast, and yes. they asked a couple questions, and you thought a couple of the topics would be beneficial for the best ever listeners to learn about. You got asked the exact question that you got asked was, what counts and doesn't count with brands? Mm-hmm. So what are things that work when you're trying to build your brand, or what are things that don't work when you're trying to build your brand? We talk about thought leadership a lot. We talked about the book today. That's obviously a, a branding piece. We're recording on Facebook Live, and we're doing a podcast right now. So obviously those are things that work. And we've done podcasts before that have listed all the things that are what you should do to be a good thought leader. But we haven't focused too much on what doesn't work or what won't work unless you actually have a brand. Maybe we can kind of touch on that. And I guess an example that we can start off with is that one of your clients was trying to find deals. And you mentioned how, you know, hey, you should maybe focus on, on thought leadership first mm-hmm. and have people kind of be comfortable with you and, and know who you are before you start asking them for money. Because, again, if, I don't, if you don't know who you are and you don't have really any experience of real estate, the only other way that you can – maybe not the only other way, but an, a, another good way to kind of gain experience is through thought leadership mm-hmm. and putting out content for people. And so mm-hmm. I guess I'll let you take it from there. Yeah. And when we say brands, some people have a negative connotation towards that. I interviewed someone who didn't – I guess I understand that. But what we're basically talking about is the image for our business. If our business is ourself, then it's building the image for ourself within the business sphere. And the important thing with brands or building your image is that we have to be known for something. And we actually, we are already known for something among our friends and family if you haven't created a brand. If we haven't created something, we're already known for something. It's just, what is that? Mm -hmm. What are we currently known for? And the purpose behind having more strategic approach on thought leadership is because it focuses the conversation on things that matter towards your business. Because right now we might be known as a good person who is true to their word and someone who is formerly in sales or marketing. Okay, cool. But how does that help me if I'm, say, a wholesaler? How does that help me get more deals? Well, The true to your word part certainly does because you're going to have a lot of people who trust you out the gate, but it doesn't necessarily position the conversation the way that you want it to be positioned entirely because it's not focused on real estate. Therefore, in order to have a successful real estate company, we have to have the conversation focused more on real estate specific stuff. And how we do that is we can just be in the business for ages and ages and then people start talking about us or we can make a more concerted effort and have a thought leadership platform that allows us to create the conversation around real estate as it relates to us. And that's all that this is about. And what I was talking to my client about was 
instead of looking for deals, if we don't have the money lined up, then perhaps taking a step back and not looking at the deals and looking at what type of thought leadership platform. So that can be an in-person meeting, that could be a podcast, that could be a YouTube channel, that could be maybe you do a bunch of Facebook Live videos, maybe you have a blog that you do daily, but having a conversation revolve around this. Because one thing that you mentioned earlier before we started recording was a point that I said about word of mouth being the number one influencer of purchase intent. And this is not just real estate, really. This is everyone, Mm -hmm. but we just have to be focused on real estate. If we want people to buy, then we need word-of-mouth referrals because when we have a word-of-mouth referral, I know from my advertising days, I was the youngest VP of a New York City advertising agency. I know from those days and the research that we did that the number one way to have people buy your product or service is to have others recommend it to them who they know, like, and trust. Yep. And that's the long way of growing our business. But when we have thought leadership, we expand our reach and we have more and more people talking about us. And it's not necessarily about our product. It's about what we're saying about the industry, which is much more important than what we have to sell because it allows a way in for a lot of people and it allows us to be positioned as business partners, not salespeople. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It'd be great if you didn't have to have a brand, but it's just it's so clear that you have to have some sort of brand. I think the problem that people probably have with the word brand is just kind of the word itself. If you just call it something different, like thought leadership, it's like, oh, okay, because it's basically mm-hmm. the exact same thing. But in regards to when a word of mouth, I think we kind of talked about this either last week or the week before about validation. It might have been on one of the, the podcasts. No, it was, it was, I think it was two weeks ago when we were talking about you're starting a business, one of the most important things in order to kind of get, get proof of, of concept for a product of some sort or a service mm-hmm. is you need to get validation, you need testimonials. And I think you actually sent me an article about copy editing from Forbes, and that was one of the, the things too, is like you need to have some sort of validation from your peers or from somebody. But something I read this morning, kind of about also the word of mouth referrals, is that, that 10,000 fans article it's like one of the most popular marketing blog posts ever. And because it was in, of Tim Ferriss. Yeah, because of Tim Ferriss. Promoting Ferris. it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was in Tim Ferriss' book. That's a perfect example, right? So, I mean, right. this guy wrote this article, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure who wrote it. The only reason I know that this article exists is because Tim Ferriss, who has a massive brand, like everyone knows who mm-hmm. Tim Ferriss is. He's known for like the, the guinea pig. Or another perfect example of someone that has a humongous brand is Trump, and now he's president. So mm-hmm. whatever you think about the guy, he's a huge, huge brand, and everyone knows who he is. And when you think about him, you think luxury and everything like that but there's really no reason why the way he looks or he should you should think that way it's just because he's built a huge brand but in that 1,000 fans it basically says that if you focus on kind of getting 1,000 true fans they'll buy your things no matter what like no matter what you make they're going to buy it if you're a musician you make a regular cd they'll buy it if you want tape cassette they'll buy the exact same one or they'll buy the mp3 version of it you think like oh well Five thousand fans, and I'm only making ten dollars per fan. Like that's only ten grand a year. Like how's that going to work? Well, obviously, it's more complicated than that because if you have one thousand actual true fans, then mm-hmm. on the surface of that, you'll have you know, people that kind of are kind of like you. They'll buy some of your stuff. Then you've also got your one thousand true fans that are so obsessed with your product that this, they're all going to talk about it, right? Mm-hmm. Think about CrossFit. All they can talk about is CrossFit constantly. I'm sure that's how CrossFit got so huge because they get these people that are super obsessed with it. So maybe you get attached to that article to this podcast. That makes sense, obviously, but if you kind of just focus on 
I'm truly adding value to a handful of people and focusing on those people, the chain reaction can kind of go out and reach mm-hmm. you know, as far as it just happens to go. To the book Tools of Titan by Tim Ferriss, he puts all the podcast interviews to date in a book. One of the interviews he did was with Seth Godin. And Seth Godin, as I'm sure a lot of best ever listeners recognize his name, but if you don't know, he's a super savvy marketer. And if you just search Seth, I believe, in Google, then his mm-hmm. blog comes yeah. up. Something ridiculous I think it's like Seth's that. Seth's blog. Seth's blog or something. You'll find it. Anyway, Seth mentions in the interview his recommendation to people is to start as small as you possibly can mm-hmm. with your audience. So be as narrow as possible and then reach that audience. Once you reach that audience, continue to build from there. But make sure you start small. You get a loyal following or some people call it tribe or community, whatever. You get a loyal group of people and then continue to build from there. Now, doing some honest self-assessment, I did not follow that approach because my podcast is the best real estate investing advice ever. Mm -hmm. Sure, I have narrowed our community to real estate investors, but I could have started with multifamily syndication and had a podcast focused entirely on that. I'd like to say I made a conscious decision not to do that, but quite frankly, I didn't think of it. And I'm glad I didn't because it's allowed me to get more perspective across different business models and it's reinforced why I'm choosing to go this way. But... Either way would have been more successful, or either way would have been successful because I was going to do it daily regardless. It would have been much more challenging doing a daily podcast on multifamily syndication. I would have to get very creative with the 300-so people a year I interview, and there would be a lot of repeat guests. But best ever listeners, think about when you're creating something, maybe it's a type of investing Maybe, you know, lease options or wholesaling, don't know if wholesaling is investing, a lease option strategy or doing some sort of targeted approach to certain renters. I'll tell you something controversial. Mm-hmm. You ready for something Let's controversial? <laughs> Who did I come across? Who told me this? It was someone I met in person and he wasn't in real estate, but his friend was. And his friend has made a lot of money in real estate. And he's like, but I can't remember who I came across who told me this. Anyway, they said that their friend makes a lot of money in real estate. And I was like, well, that's cool. I'm in real estate too. He's like, yeah, I know. That's why I want to let you know. I was like, well, how does he do it? He's like, well, he doesn't like talking about it. And I was like, why doesn't he like talking about it? He said, well, again, this is out there. I had never heard it before. He said, well, he has recognized that pedophiles after they are released from prison they don't have anywhere to live because no one wants them to live next to them and so what this investor has done is he's bought four plexes and six units and 12 units and he only rents out to Mm -hmm. people who have been arrested for child pornography and whatever else disgusting stuff and he rents out to them and he's made a lot of money doing it that's the type of stuff where I would have never come across it, for better or worse. I would have never come across those types of business models. And there are takeaways that 
you know, say what you will about that approach. I'm sure everyone has an opinion on that approach. One takeaway we can have from that approach, though, is identifying what are the market needs yeah. and what market has not been served and what can we do to serve the market. And again, a lot of disclaimers on what I just said. I mean, clearly it's a little off the tracks, but the takeaway is applicable to everyone from a branding or marketing standpoint where we've got to identify where are the needs and then and yeah. fill those needs. It's like a, I would think that you could probably do the same thing with drug offenders too, just because they have difficulties finding houses. It's kind of like a just a supply and demand thing. It's really mm-hmm. high demand because pedophiles can't get houses, but supply is low because no one mm-hmm. no one's gonna give it to them. I think I remember you, you saying that before. And I was like, oh, I wonder what else that there is that, that people that are like that that cannot find houses that you know. And only the one I could think of was drug dealers too. But something that I that I want to kind of kind of play off of that too is when you were talking about how. For your podcast, you wish you would have niched down more and been closer to multifamily syndication. But when I look at that as like kind of one little component that you can narrow down on. Where for you, you more narrow down on the daily, right? And so mm-hmm. there wasn't, oh yeah, there wasn't, there wasn't a daily podcast that's out true. there. And so that was kind of like your niche is a person that wanted a daily mm-hmm. podcast that couldn't get it elsewhere, right? And especially, I think it's so huge for people that are, that are newer. Because I remember when I first started real estate investing. Like there was like before I came across you, I was like, man, I want more of this. Like this is so cool, and I want to learn so much more. But all I can find are these weekly podcasts, so I'm just like sitting there every week waiting, and I'm super excited for the next one to come out. Mm-hmm. Whereas now it's like, oh, well, one comes out every single day, so you listen to them <laughs> daily, every single day, and get as much, you know, kind of get that whatever it is you get from yeah. from getting the information. Because yeah. again, people just we're human beings; we love to grow and learn, and mm-hmm. so. You're also kind of like you know, niche in on those people that want to grow and learn. And I think you can just, for kind of anything that anyone does, you can make the resolution super, super low and be like, oh, it's just real estate investing. Mm-hmm. Or you can go really high resolution, like, oh, it's real estate investing, it's daily, their interviews, you know, podcasts, you know, you ask, you ask the best ever advice constantly all the time. And so I think you actually did follow That's the, true. I didn't think about that. Good point. Yes. No one's as crazy as I am <laughs> <Yeah>. to do <laughs> a daily podcast for almost three years now. So you're right. Yeah, that is a differentiating feature because I can say this is the world's longest running daily real estate podcast yeah. and it will continue to be. And we were talking earlier, and then we'll wrap this up. We were talking earlier about what we did this weekend, this past weekend. And one of the things that I did with Colleen, my fiance, is we wrote out what is our life like on a Monday 10 years from now. And we wrote out from morning to night everything that took place. And it was a Monday, 2027. One of the things that I'm still doing in 10 years is a daily real estate podcast. And I mentioned to you that on that Monday, you were coming (laughs) over here and we were doing another one of these videos 10 years from now on the show. And I was at $2 billion worth of real estate that my company had under management and we had ownership in. Right now, as of today, it's 102 million, not including about 30 million that we have under contract that we're scheduled to close in the month of March. That was a very eye-opening exercise, especially when you compare it. If you have a significant other, when you compare it with your significant others, we were very aligned mm-hmm. on what was happening in 10 years. Probably because we've talked about it a lot, having a kid and doing some professional things that Colleen wants to do and growing my company. But 
well, not but it was a very effective exercise, and it was an exercise. I think we've mentioned Tim Ferriss like four times already. I'll mention it one more time. It's an exercise I learned about on a Tim Ferriss interview with a woman who is a designer. I forget her name, but it's one of the more recent oh, episodes yeah. that he did. Mm-hmm. And she did it, and she is a professor at School of Visual Arts in New York City, and she does it with her students there. So if you have an exercise, if you want to look at and envision where you'll be in 10 years, then I recommend doing that exercise and even do it with independent of your significant other and then look at it afterwards and see where you two are aligned and where you aren't. I love that exercise, and I think me and Marcella are going to do that for sure. Yeah. I think that's a really good idea. I mean, we could talk about this so much longer, but I think we want to wrap this guy up. Yeah, let's wrap it up. Best ever listeners, we want to hang out with you and learn alongside with you in February, and that is at the Best Ever Conference. Obviously, you've heard of this by now. Have you signed up? If you haven't, then what are you waiting for? We are ready to start getting things in motion on the planning side in terms of having conversations with everyone who signs up. Yes, Ben from our team is actually calling everyone who signs up for the conference. He's going to start those calls soon, and he's going to learn exactly what you want to get out of the conference. And I'm personally going to customize my keynote at the conference around what the responses are from those conversations that Ben has with you and everyone else who signs up. Go to besteverconference.com and if you sign up and you put in the code BUDDY, B-U-D-D-Y, then you will get 25% off your ticket and mention BUDDY in that little code thing and you'll get someone else who of your choosing to come with you for that 25% off. So just put in Buddy and order two tickets, and you'll each get 25% off your tickets. So go to besteverconference.com. Hope to meet you in Denver, February 24th, 25th. Put in the code Buddy. That's only going to be active until the end of the month. So January 31st will be the last day. The, the Buddy code will be active. Go to besteverconference.com and hope to see you there. Theo, where can the best ever listeners learn more about you? Theohicks.org is my website slash blog where I post the Unplugged Podcast weekly. So check it out. Cool. And you'll be at the conference in February. All right. Looking forward to it. All right. Best ever listeners, great hanging out, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Remember to get your free deal analysis tool for your flips at fundthatflip.com forward slash bestever. That's F-U-N-D-T-H-A-T-F-L-I-P.com forward slash best ever. It will detail your scope of work, help you analyze if the project's profitable, and make a determination on the max purchase price. Fundnetflip.com forward slash best ever. Best ever listeners, it is here. Well, it's almost here. February 24th and 25th. The conference, the best ever conference. Have you signed up yet? Oh, if you haven't, you better sign up right now. It's going to sell out besteverconference.com. I'm going to be there. A bunch of the guests who you've heard interviewed on the show are going to be there. Just go to besteverconference.com and look at all the speakers that you're going to hear from that will help you move your business forward in 2017. I want to meet you in person. The best ever guests who are speaking at this event 
want to meet you in person. And people who haven't been interviewed on this podcast who are speaking at the conference, they want to meet you in person. Go to besteverconference.com.